0: This is the Bigger Pockets podcast, show seventy nine.
1: You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing
0: online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host. To the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with Brandon Turner. Why are you so quiet, Brandon?
2: <laughs> I was waiting for you to say, like, "What's up, Brandon?" or "How's it going, Brandon?" or "What's new, Brandon?" And I got nothing. It was just I don't really care. Awkward silence.
0: Well, you know that's that's part of the game, man.
2: Yeah, I guess. I guess. Well, here we are, another episode of the Bigger Pockets podcast, and uh, today we're actually going to talk to some friends of mine. Sort of. I mean, they're uh, they're local investors from my part of the country, so I'm excited nice. for that.
0: Yeah, nice. Are there necks red as well?
2: No, they are not rednecks. Like <laughs> they probably no. own a truck, though. Everybody in Washington.
0: Oh, they're they're the really truck. really great. They're really <laughs> nice people, and it's a pretty cool show. So yeah. we haven't yeah. done
2: one like this a, a husband wife team in a long time. So
0: yeah, it's been a while. So yeah, it's cool. It's been a while. Uh, cool. Well, before we we get into the, we've got today's Qu- quick tip. Today's quick tip is keyword alerts. Set them up if you have not already set up keyword alerts. These things will help you to keep up to speed on what's happening on the site, um, make bigger pockets more of a passive activity, so to speak. Uh, So when something comes up of interest to you, uh, you'll find out about it, whether it's by email or if you're a pro member, you can get a text message. For example, Uh, had you set up the word Seattle... You would have known that we had
2: a bigger pockets meetup in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you would have been there. But if you don't have that set up, you wouldn't have known, and you would have missed out on all that fun time that we had. So nice, yeah. Nice. Keyword alerts are important, and they're great. So
0: yeah, and I, I think best use cases are local areas, so towns that you live in or towns nearby. Uh, mm-hmm. Strategies that you're interested in. We're, we're going to be making some improvements to keyword alerts to allow. Uh, multiple terms to be used in conjunction for a single alert. And when that's launched, we'll let everybody know. So you can say like Seattle and rentals, um, and you won't get alerts for only rentals or only Seattle. You'll get an alert if something comes up that's using both. So uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. But uh, yeah, so that's today's quick tip. Make sure you have uh, some keyword alerts set up. All right, let's get into this. Today's show featuring a conversation with Michelle and Bruce Fisher. Michelle and Bruce are buy and hold investors who hail from Longview, Washington. And uh, as a couple, they got started in real estate. Uh, they were enticed by by the low-income property, low-priced property, excuse me, uh, after the the crash. And and something uh, triggered in them, and they they said, "Hey, let's let's see if we can scoop up some great deals." And uh, their ideal was was to to also do some charity as uh, part of their investment strategy. I believe, at least, it is my opinion of that. And 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 so uh, their strategy lets them buy low income properties, help folks out who. Uh, need to be served by good landlords in in tough areas, and and that's what they do. So
2: it definitely is a it's a niche uh, sort of industry. So I'm kind of a it's kind of a cool show. I don't think we've done quite one quite like this before. So I think you guys will like it a lot.
0: Yeah, I mean they're all about revitalizing uh, communities, revitalizing neighborhoods, and and taking care of folks who who need a little more taken care of. So uh, you know definitely listen up. I, even if that's not your strategy. Uh, they, there's certainly some, some cool tips and things in here. So uh, we encourage you to stay tuned.
3: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? short-term or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit
4: Steadily.com
3: for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
0: With that, why don't we uh, why don't we get this started? Michelle, Bruce, welcome to the show, guys. Good to have you.
4: Great to be hey here. Thanks for having us.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, Michelle and Bruce, we we first met at a Bigger Pockets meetup back uh, what a year ago maybe something like that. Yeah, I think. yeah. Down in Portland. Yeah. yeah, down in Portland. So that was that was awesome. So I'm glad to finally kind of get you on the show and um, we talked a lot that night about what you do. So, but it's been a year and I have a terrible memory. So you know we're gonna mm-hmm. rehash all that again. So uh, why don't we just start uh, very beginning? I mean, what did you guys do before real estate and how did you get into it?
1: Well, I started life as a mortgage banker way back years ago and, you know, saw all these rental mortgages that came through and was just really invo- um, interested in it. I took a class, you know, part of my banking uh, credentials, I took a class on real estate and that one of the teachers told us that, she went on and on about how great uh, rentals are and uh, as far as making money. You know, you can put $10,000 in stock and you make 10%, you get $1,000 put $10,000 in rental houses, you get a $100,000 house and you can make, you know, 5%, you have, you know, a lot more money. And one of the things she really showed us that just really got me interested in this was, she talked about a mobile home park she had. This is trashy mobile home park and you know, when she, her friends would ask about it, she'd show them her different properties and she showed them this one and they always thought it was, no, they thought it was just terrible. Why would you own this? Well, she stopped <laughs> doing that and she started showing their financial records Now, all of a sudden, her friends are really impressed. Nice. And and so I sat with that for a long time and kind of tried to get Michelle to be interested in this as well. And it took her a long time. She uh, just wasn't very very easily convinced to do something different. And then finally, in 2008, as everybody knows, the prices of houses went way down. And it was a lot easier to convince her to go into uh, rental housing when houses are... $50,000, $60,000 Fifty, sixty thousand dollars rather than two hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, gotcha,
0: gotcha. So, what what did he say to you, Michelle? I mean, how did how did he get you over the hump? What was it? Was not it his charming good looks, or was it? <laughs> 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 it took me fifteen years, so it couldn't be too much.
4: <laughs> well, I'm in the accounting industry by trade, and he showed me the basically what the financials would look like, and that was pretty compelling. So that caused me to want to go start looking at them.
0: And our
1: kids were getting older and we were getting bored. so <laughs> you gotta try something different right everybody,
0: gotcha. everybody needs a hobby. So, yeah. so what was it? I mean, let's talk about that first uh, that first investment property. Did you guys decide to, to look at you know the the rundown mobile home park route or or we
1: really did. another part of it was I was really involved in um, affordable housing. I was I'm a commissioner in a housing authority. Okay. I worked for Habitat for Humanity. I started the Habitat for Humanity over in uh, Brandon's area.
2: Oh, nice. And I didn't know that.
0: That's,
2: yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Maybe you told me that. Like I said, bad memory, but... That's okay. It's
0: uh, a habitat. There's not a lot of humanity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there used to be when I was there. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were doing a lot of work in this neighborhood, uh, you know, the poor neighborhood in in our town. And I was doing all this work for other organizations. And it kind of got in my heart that maybe I should put my money where my mouth is and focus on... you know I keep telling everybody the neighborhood's improving. I should actually, you know, put some money down and do it. And Michelle, at the same time, started spending time over there, and I let her go.
4: Well, it was really because of the rentals that we started spending time there. So he, we decided to start looking, and we're just driving around the properties and stuff. And they were ugly and beat up, and yeah. it was like, "You sure you want to buy something here?" We, you know, we, I, I was hesitant, but. Um, when once we got going and i started spending more time in the neighborhood i really enjoyed the neighborhood it's so much more vibrant than you know people are out living on their porches they're talking to people it's just a really active fun neighborhood so I mean, you're
2: you're talking about like lower lower income areas right i mean like very yeah. very low income we got you no know, uh two bedrooms for 350 oh wow yeah that is very low income okay so uh, 350 uh, is the $3. 50 monthly 350 month Mark
0: yeah rent, yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. wow that okay. is pretty low yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I mean that's a challenge for a lot of people. And, you know, it's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show today is because, you know, a lot of people we talked to, especially, you know, um, we just had a, a Bree Schmidt on the podcast. And, you know, she did kind of the opposite end of that in Chicago where she bought, you know, really higher end, like $400,000 houses or, you know, multifamilies and rented those out to high end tenants. So it's like completely a different uh, world. Um, and so that's kind of why we wanted to compare and contrast the two with you guys. Right. So, um I oh, mean, it, feel,
0: it feels like this is like a Harry Met Sally conversation here too, which is which is kind of fun. Uh, so, oh, I, I've never seen Harry Met Sally. What? Uh, you've never seen? Oh, oh, man, come on, guys, Bruce and you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, they don't get
1: movies in Aberdeen.
0: We don't get movies in Aberdeen. Apparently, my goodness. All right, never mind. Well, well so t- tell us what you know. What stood out beyond? Yeah. You said vibrancy. You said there were folks out and, you know, active, uh, you know, what beyond, beyond the, and, and this is going to sound wrong. Cause I know it's not guilt. It's the, <laughs> they put your money where your mouth is situation. What, you know, what grabbed you? Money, money. Really?
1: How so? I mean, <laughs> ROI yeah. or what? We can make a lot of cash. On these things, we're, we're doing good, well on cash and low risk because, I mean, our highest uh, house was $107,000 for a duplex. Okay. So we don't have a whole lot of money into these things. Gotcha. Yet we're able to get, you no know, steady cash flow out
2: of them. Now, uh, how far are you from Portland? Like, you're close, uh, right?
1: 50 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 45, okay. 50 minutes.
2: Okay. So, I mean, just, just to let I mean, people know this, Portland is one of the most expensive markets in the U.S. It's very, very spendy there or at least it's, you know, it's, it's spendy. Uh, Tucker, uh, we had on the show back early, one of the early ones. I mean, he was flipping houses and, you know, he was flipping a million dollar house in, in Portland. So just to reiterate my point that I always like to, if you live in an expensive area like Portland, I'm not saying go and, you know, buy in their backyard and give them competition, but just the fact is w- within an hour of uh, an expensive area, they can go and find, you know, low income properties that are, uh, you know, affordable to get into. So It's always kind of cool. So, so you started buying uh, investment properties in this lower area. What was your very first uh, investment then? What was that like?
4: Well, it was kind of interesting because when we were looking around and going through them, we kind of decided that we didn't need to see inside to make offers. So, this was a house that we, it was a four bedroom house right on the edge of the neighborhood. And it was occupied and we decided to just make an offer so we didn't see the inside until we went into inspection Uh-oh. so our first clue probably should have been that when we made a low ball offer and they accepted without counter offering <laughs> 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 so this was a four bedroom house for $63,000
0: what was it listed at uh
1: 80,000 a little over 80
0: okay okay so you, you offered it at 63, they accepted and yeah. and uh, you walked in and your eyes so fell out of with, your head.
4: We walked in with our inspector and I almost started crying. I mean, it was, just, it was horrible. <laughs> um there was mold and crayons all over the wall and the sink was draining yeah there was a
1: leak in the sink and they just put a big bucket 50 gallon bucket underneath and I guess probably five gallon i guess five gallon bucket underneath and instead of emptying the bucket they just let it overflow so I'm no sure oh. <laughs> nice. that's funny and all right they're a hispanic couple that spoke no english it was very hard to, to communicate with them yeah the mold was just terrible all through the house Wow. And then there was a uh, sewage underneath
0: the so, house. So, yeah. and Which then,
1: where it came from.
0: <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's a shame. I mean, first off, this family's living there in, in such deplorable conditions. And, you know, I mean, ultimately, probably not advocating for their, themselves because potentially they, they don't know any better. And frankly, the fact that whomever the owner was, you know, seemingly didn't care. Right. Right. Um so that's that's I think from my perspective I I'm guessing you saw that and besides the the shock and horror was there some like wow this is this is what we're talking about this is you what know, we need to put a stop that to was
1: Exactly what it was.
4: We probably should have walked away from it in hindsight, but our inspector was pretty excited about it. He was, you know, just kind of pumped about it and thought it really had a lot of potential. And we really liked the floor plan. And that's kind of what we've learned that some houses just have really unworkable floor plans and some have really nice ones. And this has a really nice, it's a very small compact house. It's only 1,100 square feet for a four bedroom, but it's just laid out really nice.
0: Okay. So so let's talk about that for for a quick second. What makes a floor plan? plan a workable floor plan. You know, I mean, what my first, my first rental property was a property that had a shotgun apartment. So it was, you know, living room is connected to bedroom. Bedroom is connected to kitchen (laughs) to go to the kitchen. You had to go through the bedroom, which is, I mean, it's a terrible layout, Uh, but but what makes for a a good layout?
1: It's kind of the same thing for us. It's really bathroom placement is a lot of it. You know, if you have to walk through a bathroom, a bedroom to get into a bathroom, then it just not, we found another one that was like that. The only way into the bathrooms was through two bedrooms. And then we found another one where the only way to another bedroom is through one bedroom. So you have to go through someone's bedroom to get to your bedroom. And just <laughs> <laughs> Hallways are important. Right? Yeah, gotcha. Or if, okay.
4: or if there's a dining room area that is just kind of wasted space. You know, we like if what works best for us is an open area where it's a living room and dining room together and they can decide how to furnish it rather than it being um, sparse step for them, you know? Um, so that, that's another consideration too. Gotcha. gotcha.
2: That, that makes sense. Well, so it sounds like you ended up buying this property. Is that right? We, we, did. we did. Did you offer any lower after you saw the inside? Did you try to negotiate lower? We did point?
1: make them uh, clean the sewage up Okay, under the house.
0: Nice. Okay. Well, that's good. And going. they had no
1: problems with <laughs> that too. Another, right. another sign that they were ready to get out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how how much did it end up costing you guys to to get this thing fixed up? Did you end up getting rid of the tenant that were in there or did you kind of hold them in? Fortunately, we
1: them? did. They they had lowered the rent um, on the tenant, the previous owner because of how bad of the shape was and because they had lost their job. So we we had to raise the rent a little bit up to Almost, uh, it was still below market, but we had once we raised it, they had to leave.
0: Wait, wait. So I, I, I want to clarify. So the previous owner, this and and straight up yeah. slumlord, um, yes. instead of fixing the sink with the five gallon bucket that was dripping down in the mold on the walls, they decided to drop the rent to to shush up the uh, tenants. Uh, possibly
1: I I wouldn't go there (laughs) but but that's that's what happened I mean that is now
2: I I do have to say though I mean a lot of my tenants like refuse to I mean they just flat out will not call like I had a tenant one time I think I told this a while ago on the podcast but I had a tenant call and say well no they never called they never called they never called anyway I was in the parking lot one day doing something picking something up and uh, the the kid comes down and asks me if I can come up and look at his ceiling because there's some uh, mold and I went up there and looked at it and it wasn't like a spot of mold. The entire ceiling was an inch of just green grass, essentially. And I mean, it was the entire ceiling of the bedroom and living room because they didn't want us to come into their unit. So they just never called to complain about it until it was so bad. And it was a roof leak, never made mention of it. They used buckets to clean it up. It it was probably years, years of this happening. And so, uh, it, I mean, we, that's why yeah, you should do that inspections. That, yeah. Well, that's
0: what I was going to say. That's why you it's need to do it. Yeah. That's
2: why we do six month inspections now on our units. But uh, before that, I mean, this was only uh, two years after we bought it. We had never been in, I think I'd been in that unit once, maybe uh, when we first bought it, when I did the walkthrough, but yeah, I don't think it was bad then. And I don't even think I, I would have cleaned it if it was, but yeah, it was terrible. I mean, terrible. And th- that happens quite often. I mean, we have tenants all the time. They won't call about issues. They'll just live with them forever. And ever mm. and ever. Right.
5: And
1: ever. Hey, and that's why yeah. I don't want to call him a slumlord lord, because I don't know what, what the
2: you yeah. know what happened for real. Yeah. But there are definitely ways there are definitely ways you can, you know, by doing inspections you can kind of know those things by doing the periodic inspections and uh you know just making sure things are running correctly. I don't know. There's there's ways I think that uh, can improve that. So
0: yeah, and and I think any anyone listening, especially the new landlords, need to um, Heed heed that wisdom and and make sure that you've got some kind of plan set up on on your properties where you do have these periodic inspections and and it's not necessarily to to go and and you know try and catch your your tenants uh, doing bad things and you know that certainly it's helpful. <laughs> but, yes. But but for the for this very reason, yeah.
2: So you know what we do is we do like smoke alarm checks, and the reason we do we we do water checks and smoke alarm checks. That's what we tell our tenants, and that um that way it gets us two things. One, it gets us into every room of the house because there should be a smoke detector right. in every room, uh, well every bedroom, and then one on each floor in my in my state. But uh also then the bathroom and kitchen by doing the water leaks and the water heater closet. So we get in pr- every area of the room just by doing those two things: water heater checks or water checks and. Uh, and furthermore, that that just helps with knowing when there's a water problem. So you can mm-hmm. when, because tenants will never. I notice that they never call about a drippy faucet. I've had uh, bathtubs that have just been pretty much full on, just running, uh, and they won't call about it. They just let it run twenty four seven, and I'll wonder why my water bill was so high.
4: I was going to say that's a gr- that's a great way to term it. And when we schedule them, we always make sure that they know it's not a housekeeping inspection. Yeah, exactly, coming yep. to look at the house, not. Yep.
2: Yeah, and I, I think I, I think one more tip for people and um, I'm sure you guys would agree with this, I would think is the more you can let your tenant know that you want to fix their repairs and you want to help them. Like, I think a lot of tenants get that mentality of, well, if I complain about this water leak, they're going to raise my rent. And I think that's just, right. or they're going to, the, I have a tenant who texts me once in a while. She sends me a text message and every time it's, I'm so, so sorry for bugging you, but, and then she'll write the problem. And she's so afraid of like, she's bothering me or I'm going to be angry or what, I don't know what it is, but uh, I think that that happens quite often with tenants. And so we try to really like reinforce with them, especially the new ones. Like we want to know the second there's a problem because the sooner I can fix a problem, the less money it costs me in the long run. So there's a lot
4: of people want to automate getting their rent payments. But one of the things we like getting them face by face is it's another monthly opportunity to talk to people and see how things are going and if there are any issues that they aren't willing to pick up the phone and call us about. But now that we're face to face, they might
5: tell us.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, so I I automate my rent payments. I mean, I I couldn't go to every single one and pick up rent. I'd do nothing for the first week but that technically. But I do think that is a good idea when you're first starting out. There's nothing wrong with that at Mm -hmm. all. I think, I mean, not even just first starting out, but if you've got, you know, I don't know, enough to be able to go around and do it for a couple hours, pick them up. That's great. Just being able to talk to your tenants and find out what's going on. And they're pretty open to talking. Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so let's talk about this property. You guys go in, um, I I think I asked you, but how how much did it uh, cost to fix up about
4: so we spent ninety six hundred dollars on it, and part of that was blowing in insulation so okay. that it would be more comfortable
0: and but, less mold.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, did you use the insulation to cover the mold, or did you no. actually <laughs> clean the mold?
1: We cleaned the mold, took down a lot of the a lot of the walls that right. they
0: added, oh, repainted, no. all uh-huh. that stuff. <laughs> all right, all right. So you got this place up to speed. Now, what are we renting it for?
4: Eight twenty five.
0: Okay,
2: so it it's towards, a little bit more than one percent rule, I don't and, know, and
0: a little bit better than the three fifty that uh, you guys. <laughs> yeah, are,
2: uh, it's a much well, better. it's
4: a four bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Nice, nice. So that's great. How did you buy it? What, I mean, how did you finance it?
4: We had some savings, and this one we went with a conventional loan. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. Cool.
1: It was our first one, so it was pretty easy to get. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. And and let's talk about the neighborhood. So this was in a, a, a kind of a tough neighborhood. It sounds like, yeah.
4: Yeah, but this house is on a quieter block, so it's kind of what I would call the nicer section of the low-income neighborhood.
0: Okay, and are all your properties in the low-income neighborhood? or
4: Yes, it's a 40-block area, and as we started expanding, we did look in other areas, but I kind of told Bruce that I really wanted to just focus and have all our properties in that neighborhood.
0: Gotcha. And are you, are they all really close together, like same block or, or are you just kind of? No, no
1: they're, the, they're actually the exact opposite. We have one in the corner, yeah, the North corner and one in the South corner.
2: So, <laughs> gotcha.
4: <yeah. laughs> and all throughout.
2: <laughs> I gotcha. That's cool. I so, gotcha.
4: But none of them are more than a couple miles from our house.
2: And that, that is, that is helpful. Uh, what, when we talk about lower income neighborhoods, what exactly does that mean for those people listening and don't know what that, what that means? How would you describe it? I mean, are these violent? Are they gangs? I mean, are they just low income? I mean, what does that mean?
1: 10 years ago, it probably was violence and gangs, but it's, it really has cleaned up a lot. And now it's just poor. Um, it's people that basically they have no income for the most part.
0: Those is that, that like that minimum do. wage and government assistance type of stuff? Yeah, Government
1: assistance is a lot of it. Um, I think half of our people probably don't have any job at all. And those that do, it's pretty minimum wage or they're temporary.
4: Okay. It's an area that people with Section 8 vouchers don't want to live in. Yeah.
0: Um, oh, really? Explain that. Yeah,
4: it's People with Section 8 vouchers can afford to live in a nicer neighborhood. This,
0: oh, gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Okay. So what,
4: our
1: places are below fair market value, the FMV that HUD uses.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So you guys are literally, I mean, the bottom, bottom of the barrel. I mean, not in terms of like garbage houses, but you know, bottom of the barrel in terms of rents and everything else.
4: Yeah. Yeah. We like to when when people move out of our places, they're usually going homeless. Wow. We've had we've had one tenant move out and buy a house, but generally they're spiraling to a homelessness living on somebody's couch situation. So OK, that,
0: that seems tough.
4: Yeah, I was going to say
0: as tough. a landlord that it, it appears that you're almost putting yourself in a situation of almost asking almost don't don't get me <laughs> wrong, but almost asking to, to have high eviction rates and, and lots of problems.
1: And we've gotten that. We've never evicted anybody. Uh, you give a hundred dollars and they'll leave pretty easily. But
4: we, we get so excited when a tenant stays for one year. I mean, uh, people don't stay very long. Yeah. So
0: why? Why? I mean, beyond being uh, clearly, you guys are uh, good people who are looking to to take care of other people. I mean, at least that's that's how I would see it. And the the financial motivations, I I understand. But at some point, you know, if if you have so, so much turnover. There's kind of an equalizer, isn't there?
1: It's a little rough. Uh, part of it is just the economy in this town right now is just really bad. So this is the worst, well, hopefully, this is the worst, <laughs> worst I'll ever be. <laughs>
4: so,
1: I don't want to say that too much, but uh, it should get better. And yeah, it's just a really rough time we're going through right now. And we just got to do what we got to do.
4: Gotcha. So if, if people are just barely making it by, so if they have any hiccups, then they can't stay there. So you know we focus on anything we can do to keep them, keep people there longer. What can we do to keep get people in there faster? What can we do to minimize the turnover cost? That we know we're going to deal with the turnover.
1: And we have very very few vacant days. You know, when someone leaves, we get someone in pretty dang quick.
0: So so what does that mean? I mean, it's it sounds to me like you're not just. But slapping up a sign, it sounds like you guys are, uh, and I forget, um, we, did a, we did a podcast on low income. I'm, I'm totally blanking out who it was. Uh, but. Lisa Phillips. That no, wasn't Lisa. But it, it seems like you're a lot more involved in the community. You're a lot more involved. in Al,
2: Al Williamson. It was Al. That's yeah, it that's was. the one he talked about that.
0: It sounds like there's a lot going on. You guys are really proactive. So what are you doing? How do you minimize uh, turnover time? What, what are your tactics and techniques uh, for, you know, even, you know, hey, somebody's just having a hard time paying. What do you guys do? I'd love to hear more about that.
4: So for minimizing the turnover, you know, as soon as we know that we're going to have someone move out, we put it up on Craigslist and we can't put up a for rent sign in the neighborhood until they move out because once a for rent sign is up, the mailman will no longer deliver mail in that neighborhood, which is really weird. Um, Is that a legal thing or is that
0: a just...
1: (laughs) That's what the mailmen tell us. Weird. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wait, once there's a for rent sign, they won't... Wow. Because of
1: because of vacancy issues.
0: Oh, interesting. So they don't yes, want to deliver yeah.
2: mail to an address they think might be vacant. Right.
0: So they just thinking somebody's gonna the thought. mail. I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I don't know. Weird,
4: yeah. And lots of, if it's a duplex, we'll let the person next next door know that it's coming open and ask them if they have any friends that they want to apply. So we just try to work things from all the angles. And once it goes on Craigslist, we get a lot of phone calls and a lot of people who want to see it. And if it's vacant, we're accommodating and we'll drop in everything and go show it to them.
2: So. What do you look for then when you're, when you get a tenant to come look at it? Obviously these properties aren't attracting the, you know, the mortgage bankers of the world. So how do you, I mean, what are you looking for in a tenant? Like do how do you, you screen somebody? Yeah, not a, yeah. A, it's yeah. screening, but also, yeah, like not necessarily like just the credit report, but like, yeah. How do you do the whole process? I mean, what are you looking for?
4: So we try to talk to them as much as we can about what they're looking for in a place and why they're moving and that type of stuff when they're looking through, but we really need them to fill out the application. And it is a pretty involved application and we don't get a lot of applications back. Um, I don't know if it's just too intimidating or if they decide that if we really are going to check all this stuff, never mind if they're looking for a less involved landlord. but So once we get that application back, we try to verify and look look at as much stuff as we can before we have to spend any money to screen. And I kind of have a point system where they get and lose points for certain things. So we're looking for someone who has job stability that they've had um, the income source for for a year or more. We don't throw them out if they have less than that, but they're going to lose points for that. And we look at their where they've lived and for how long. If someone is consistently moving every six months and always had, that's not a desirable um, attribute that we're looking for. So. And, you know, criminal wise, we see a lot of criminal activity. So it's kind of gauging how many and what type. And so we just kind of go through our process and we look them up on Facebook, see what we can find out, see if because it is a smaller community, see if we know anybody who knows them and just work, work it as much as we can. And then if we think that it'll be a good fit, we go ahead and do the credit check. And that gives us a lot of information about, we know they have terrible credit. Most of them don't even have bank accounts, but it gives us the address history and more criminal information and that kind of stuff. So what we've had are a really good niche that we have that we really like is people just starting out that don't have any rental history yet, especially if their parents or someone is willing to sign for them. That's usually people with with no rental history, we can influence them more, you know, saying, you know, you know letting them know and educating them rather than someone who's had a really bad rental history because it's probably not going to change.
2: Yep. Yep. That, that makes sense. And I, I just wanted to point out uh, one thing you mentioned was checking Facebook. I don't know how many landlords do that, but I know we do that for a, a lot of our tenants. And you can learn a lot of stuff just like right. people have an open Facebook, which most people do. Uh, you can learn a lot of stuff about people. I mean, I figured out people have pets or people have kids that they didn't say they yeah. had. And I mean, like you can learn a lot of things that, yeah, that they don't. It,
1: or a, it's a lot easier in a small town where yes. you're bound to know somebody that knows somebody.
2: Yeah, yeah it's very, yeah. I, I mean, I've even had have tenants who say like, I mean, like I, I look on their thing and they'll be complaining all about how much they hate their landlord because they're kicking them out of their house. And then I, I go on there, I'm like, oh okay, they're being evicted. I'm like, you know, they they write crazy things and they can tell if they're a partier or what. I mean, you can tell a lot from Facebook, so. Right. Definitely.
3: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want to dive deep into commercial real estate, entrepreneurship, leadership, and the economy? Tune into the Walker webcast hosted by the CEO of Walker & Dunlop.
5: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP.
0: Definitely. Well, so, yeah, you know, this is interesting for me. I mean, you know, you guys are doing something that I, I attempted low income. I didn't attempt low, low income. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I, I think it takes a, a special kind of person to even contemplate. Doing that kind of business, I, I think, you know, and and I please don't take this as critical. I, I think it's a extremely challenging business. I think it's a very risky business. I mean, I know you say it's not as risky because the uh, properties don't cost a lot of money, but you know, to me, risk is high turnover, um, you know, hire uh, folks who have more criminal activity, that kind of stuff, and 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 so I can see this kind of landlording as not the sit back and relax kind of landlording. This is absolutely a more active type of, of landlording. In fact, I, I wonder, I know you guys self manage, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know when I was looking with my low income properties, I had a very hard time finding property managers who would manage. And I'm going to guess that there's probably even less who would tackle a low, low, low income properties. Is that, is that right?
4: There are some, there's probably four property manager companies who are active in that neighborhood. Um, but I've noticed that their places sit empty a lot longer than ours do. Um, yeah.
2: I think I found that like, I mean, I haven't used a property manager really, but, uh, from what I've seen that property managers around my area too, they don't fill the units anywhere close to as fast as we do. Um, just mm-hmm. cause they don't, right. they don't have that incentive, which I mean, that's the trade off, right? Like if I'm getting 99% occupancy, if I give it to a property manager i'm going to get 90 percent, but i don't have to deal with it so i mean i know some people mm-hmm. will trade one for another so i guess it just comes mm-hmm. down to what your strategy is but i know when i started well, out okay oh,
4: i was going to say the flip side of that is maybe they're doing more stringent tenant screening yep. and having better results on that end too so yeah, you know- yeah and,
0: I, and i would i would actually encourage you uh not that i know any better but i i, I think because uh, i don't um uh to talk to those guys. You know, I'd be really curious if I were in your shoes to have the conversations with those property management companies and find out, you know, how long p- people are, are are staying in the property. And, uh, you know, if their turnover is higher or lower, you know, maybe they'll have a vacancy for a month or two, but they might have tenants that last a year and a half, two years. So is there kind of a balance? I don't know. Right.
4: And I have that data. I haven't mined it yet, but since we started, every single week, I've taken the information off a of Craigslist of what the addresses are, what they're renting for, and the attributes of the property. So I've got a huge database now Interesting. of everything. Yeah, it's so, her
1: hobby on Thursdays. <laughs>
0: well, okay. So, so I'm. I, I want to hear more about this. You you go and you find out every unit that's available, what goes up for rent in the area. So you you've got this treasure trove of information which unfortunately you haven't yet dug into on Thursdays. So we're, we're going to have to set you for Fridays to start digging in. But what I mean, what was your, what was your, clearly you were collecting it with an end goal. So what's, the, what was the end goal? What'd you want to find out?
4: My main end goal was to be able to get it accurate market rent so that when we have a place coming up, we can look at similar properties nearby and know what we should be charging for market rent. But I I realized as I started getting more and more data that I could use it, one, to figure out which properties are tenant occupied and contact the landlords if I want, figure out how long they're staying as the addresses start popping up. You know, there's some that pop up so often that I know that those are really problem properties, but I haven't really taken the time to really... Dig everything I can out of that information,
1: and we you know we do choose to take the, some of the harder tenants that others won't take. It's, no, it's, we have the extra time right now. As long as we have the extra time and the willingness to do it, you know, we do take some tenants that are much riskier than you know, others would. Yeah, it's a tra- it's a trade off. I mean, it, when we have less time, we'll stop doing that trade off. But yeah. for now, it works for us and hopefully for the community.
0: No, yeah. that's great. That's great. Well, listen, I mean, I. I, I will straight up admit I'm not the guy. I am not the guy to go in there and buy those properties and hold hands. I, I mean, I've been there and it was a terrible experience for me and I'm not willing to do it. That's it. I'm glad that there are people who are willing to do it because if not, you know, where where are these folks going to go?
1: Yep. And at the same time, we're not doing out of the goodness of our hearts. I mean, we're making no. money on this. So. No, of course, of course.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, you better be.
4: Well, actually, it is easy to get bur- sorry, Brandon. No, go ahead. It you is it. easy to get burned out though. I know there was one year that we just had a lot of turnover and several two or three of our units were empty at the same time and early, this year so far every other month we've had turnover, which is a little bit more than we normally have. So, you know, it, it is easy to get burned out. Yeah,
2: yeah. My wife and I tend to like well, we started out, we did a lot more, a little bit more you know hands on a little bit lower income and as we've gotten more and more properties we've been slowly getting better and better properties looking for that trade off of we're not making quite as much cash flow in the better ones but in the long run i think they'll pay off better i think i mean it's all i mean this is like real estate is so multidimensional that it's hard to you know, it's not just left and right and if you do this yeah. then this will happen so uh, but yeah. you talked about the the cash flow i mean you're doing this for the for the finances not just out of the goodness of your heart so why don't we jump to that a little bit do you mind me asking like i mean how many units have you guys gotten so far
4: so we have eight doors. We have five properties. Three okay. of them are duplexes. Okay. And,
2: and what do you look for when you're shopping for an investment property? Like, well, I mean, do you have a minimum cash flow per unit you're going to expect or or do you just look for the cheapest property and offer on it?
4: Well, we're targeting at least $100 per door cash flow and targeting a, a 10 cap. Um, and then we had some other factors that we kind of look at, but basically when we were shopping, we would put all the numbers together on what we looked at that day and maybe pick the best from that day. Okay. We, we don't window shop very much. So when we decided we were going to jump in, we jumped in really quick and, um,
1: and a lot of our places were places that we thought we could make a difference. Now, places that were already fixed up and ready to turnkey, um, rentals, we weren't all that interested in.
4: Yep. Right. We were looking for the ugly properties that we could do something with.
2: Do you feel like you're building equity in those um, properties that you're, you know, buying the ugly ones that you want to do some work on? Do you feel like you're building equity into that?
4: Not really, but I feel like they're easier to rent. Okay. Because they're a little bit nicer. So because people you fix them up and... excited about them. Yep. Yeah.
2: I found the yeah, same
1: thing. Uh, maybe we, sh- we shouldn't be selling them for losses, but the equity not it's the prices aren't going going up very fast in this area Yep, yeah
0: it's, it's it's not an appreciation play well i don't think right. low-income housing is ever an appreciation play i think it's more a cash it's flow not.
2: play. Yep. yeah and, that, it's, and that's okay i mean like again that different different places in people's life have different strategies right you start out i mean i think it's really good to start out as a cash flow investor i mean i think it's really like what you guys are doing i think is excellent um starting out that way because you, one, you're gaining a ton of experience, making a bunch of money and, you know, helping the neighborhood as well. Uh, and then as you, you know, 10 years from now, I'm guessing you guys will be in a much different place, uh, just like I was 10 years ago. And, uh, yeah, so I think it's, I think it's awesome what right. you're doing. Uh, I, again, it's not for everyone. Like Josh said, I think some people's personalities just clash with that. Uh, I mean, I, my personality clashes with it now, like but I love that you guys are doing it. So um Agreed.
1: We, we play a lot of good cop, bad cop, where I, I go in there and talk to all the tenants. <laughs> I'm their friend. And then, uh, oh, I got a call from my wife. I can't do this for you.
0: That's <laughs> funny. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, well, I mean, how, how do you guys find your properties? Are you guys finding them on the MLS? Is that mostly what it is?
4: Yeah. On, on the MLS with, um with an agent. Yeah. We,
1: we have an agent who tells us properties that are coming up and he keeps us pretty informed and then you know i guess like we said we were in the neighborhood all the time so gotcha. we do see them too
0: gotcha and and then on financing i know the first was conventional uh, how have you been funding the the rest of the properties
4: so three of them are fi- are finance conventional. We got a second mortgage line of credit on our primary residence, which is a great way to go because that can be our our safety net. You know, when when money's rolling good, we pay it off. And when we need, we can pull it out. So it's great to have that flexibility. And then we have a family loan, too.
2: OK, so Don't you're try. using kind of a, a mixture of both conventional and some creative methods. So, right. right.
0: Cool.
4: Because what we didn't realize when we started buying and we were making cash offers is very early in the process they require you to show that you really have the cash and it's like well you know I'll have it by the time we close but you know so so that piece was kind of hard to work through the timing of that and the yeah. line of credit helps a little bit with that too yeah that makes
2: sense I'm a big fan of that so
1: yeah I hate having cash just sitting in my checking account <laughs> I
2: know <laughs> that I know cash sitting in your checking account is never like. It always just feels wrong until you need to go get a refinance and then they're like, "Oh, you need to have 6 months of reserves for every single unit you have." And then I'm like, "Dang it." So like cash is not <laughs> fun to have. So like every time I get it, I want to buy something new until I try to go get a refinance and then it's really really tough to get yeah. refinances mm-hmm. when you don't have that. But
1: we whatever. basically use our line of credit as a savings account. If yep. any extra money goes on our line of credit.
0: Yep. Makes gotcha. sense. Gotcha. And I'm very different. I, I, if I don't have some cash, like, you know, sitting there, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm like, Oh my God, what if, what if, what if, what if, and, and I'll tell you, I'll
2: tell you this, Josh, I I may have said this on a very early podcast, but I, I, used to play Monopoly with a friend of mine every single day of high school. I mean, of a summer break. We played it every day. I played at least a hundred games. I know I was every day. We played a game. Monopoly. He was a
0: math league too. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I yeah.
2: I was captain of the math league. Woo. Um, so we played every day and we were like hardcore about it. We could finish a game in easily under an hour, but my quickest game was like 12 minutes, I think. But we were so like, uh, obsessed with Monopoly anyway. So what the strategy I learned during that time was that, uh, I my goal in that game is to never own more than $100 like in my possession, right? So I always get rid of my money no matter how fast I can. I will buy, sell, trade, buy anything, whatever. I just get rid of everything and I don't want more than $100. What that does is it forces me to play creatively and I've only lost once in the past 10 years and that was to my wife who is a better (laughs) investor than I am. So in 10 years, I mean, I'm not telling everyone they should go and give away all their money in order to be a good investor, but there is a principle there that, that I run my own life by, you know, like if, when you have a lot of money, I think you're less creative and, uh, I don't know, maybe you don't hustle as hard to, to make the investment happen or whatever. So I don't know. Again, I'm not telling everyone to go and mm-hmm. spend all their money and have no backup, but there is no, I something don't, to I don't disagree that.
0: with you. I mean, I, I think that that's one of the things that people find most fascinating about you, Brandon, is, is the create. <laughs> no, I mean the, the creativity, Thanks. you know, I, I think that's what you're you know, you're fairly well known for. And, and so I think that's, uh, that's awesome. But we're not here to talk about you. So let's stop talk talking about monopoly. Your monopoly. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So Michelle, Bruce, if you guys were to do anything differently, what would it be? I mean, is there anything that you regret thus far in terms of your strategy?
4: Well, there's two of the properties we have that I would not have bought if I knew what I knew now. But um, so I think the strategy is good. It's just, maybe focusing in the nicer part of the low income area instead of doing it scattered all over and maybe trying to get isolated. We did try to get more like on the same block or next to each other, but that was just really hard to, really hard to do. Yep.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I think for me, it would have been uh, getting together with Michelle beforehand and having the same strategy. <laughs> we uh, don't always have to see eye to eye on everything and it would have been nice to have, Agreement before we started this, rather than at the last minute, have to decide on something.
2: Yeah, yep. Well, hey, well, speaking of that, why don't we why don't we move to that a little bit and talk about investing with your and working in a business with your spouse? Because I mean, most people listening to this podcast are probably married, and a lot of them, you know, you're involved with your spouse in the process. So, how do you guys do that? How do you avoid arguing? How do you avoid
0: by the way, to anybody listening, Michelle has her hands wrapped around Bruce's neck right now. So uh, yeah, I just you know Well
2: we have no idea how to avoid arguing. So we could not even begin to answer. <laughs> <laughs>
4: that's part of the process.
2: It is part of the process. That's true. So I mean, how do you guys do it? How do you how do you run a successful real estate company together?
4: Well, Part of it is dividing, you know, who focuses on what. I do all the paperwork and he does most of the dealing with the tenants and, you know, just dividing. He does most of the rehab. I do most of the cleaning, you know. Um, dividing it up and knowing what roles we have which doesn't mean we can't help each other but that's kind of what the area that we're controlling. A procedure manual um, Bruce doesn't like to follow it but at least have <laughs> it written down what we think we might want to do in certain situations.
0: Yep. She just called you out in front of like 50,000 people. <laughs> I, I think everybody
1: that knows me knows I don't follow the procedure manual. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea even where it is right now. I couldn't play it.
0: So. <laughs> Alright, so you guys get along fine. Bruce ignores a uh, Michelle and, and uh, everything works out. <laughs>
1: it comes down to tr- I mean, in the end, it comes down to trust. We trust each other. Yeah. We don't always agree, but we trust. Yeah. And at the end of the night, we, we wake up happy.
4: And we're going to figure things out together. I yeah. mean, even if one of us caused the problem, we're still going to work together to get ourselves out of it. Yeah, I, th-
0: I, I think fundamentally, you know, this is, you know, this show is become the marriage show, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think fundamentally, if you have that attitude that's the attitude that that will keep a marriage together it's the yeah. same attitude that'll keep a partnership together right i mean you're going to fight you have to expect it and you don't you know the, the first time there's trouble you don't you know stop and run away and you realize you may have different opinions but the key is can you get on point And, and, and I think Brandon had mentioned, I don't remember if this was on the previous show or in a conversation with me, he had talked to me about some folks who come to him and say, Hey, you know, what, what do I do? My, my wife really, really doesn't want to get into real estate. What should we do? You know, the answer was, was plainly don't do it. Find another way to make money, you know, because if you guys are completely polar opposite, it's not going to work.
1: Yeah, Or be like we didn't just be patient and eventually she comes around.
0: Yeah. Or he. Yep. I think that's
2: great. I mean, I, and I, th- I think another aspect of that is there has to be a heavy dose of I uh, I don't know if you call it a grace or forgiveness or whatever with the other person. Like I've screwed up so many times and cost us a lot of money that like my wife has to, I mean, she's had to, like, you know, like it's not like I've like destroyed our life, but like I've made a lot of mistakes and made her work a lot of hours that she would not want to work. And, You know, she forgives me for those things. And I'm sure, you know, if she ever screws, you know, something up on me, I mean, I'll have to just forgive. And that's part of life, right? You make mistakes, you make problems and uh, you just get through it. And so both parties have to be okay with that. Like, like you said, no matter whose problem it is, you're going to get through it together.
1: And we also, great. you know, we focused on it. On us no, she didn't say yes to every house, but no, no. buying all kinds of rental. She said certain kinds. So we agreed on a certain kind of rental. You no, know, we had a compromise. No, yeah. I don't get to do what I want to do. She doesn't get to do what she wants to do. But we have an agreement of what we're both comfortable with. Yeah.
0: yeah, that makes sense. And and I think that's again, you know, whether it's a spouse or it's a just a straight part, you know, not straight partner, but whether it's a partner. Straight partner, gay partner, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what kind of partner it is.
5: You walked into that one.
4: uh,
1: Yeah, there you go. Uh, Yeah, it's the same same issues. It's just a lot harder when you're married. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Well, because now you have to live with them afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. Right on. Well, so as you know, we're we're starting to get to the to the end here. Uh, I know that when I was uh, buying difficult properties, let's just put it that way, there were always fun and and exciting stories. There was always something crazy happening. You guys have to have some stories that at the time you wanted to throw your, uh, you know, throw a brick through a window, but now you're laughing about. So let's share them. <laughs>
4: <laughs> um, well, earlier this year, we had a tenant disappear on us. Just he paid rent and then right after that disappeared. So we had an interesting little chase around town trying to find the poor guy. <laughs> and
1: he had, he had other people living in his house. Oh And nice. they had no idea where he was either. <laughs> so was he so in jail? no he just actually we still don't know where he is
0: <laughs> <laughs> <So> he just, <laughs> yeah.
1: we got a call from the electricity company saying uh the power was turned off on our one of our units so we went over there because he had just paid rent like two days ago went over there and there were people living there and we talked to them and eventually we got them out but yeah and they said they they kept telling us they knew where he was but
0: Fascinating. I I heard a rumor that there was some kind of uh, a barter for uh, rent uh, from, from one of your tenants, uh, you know, was it having to do with pro- prostitutes or
1: she, she never offered, <laughs> never offered to
5: Bruce. But
4: we were moving in a new tenant and we were talking about the unit and stuff. And he said, I'm really familiar with this place. The person who used to live here was a prostitute. And it's like, Oh,
1: I just thought she was just really trampy. Cause every time I went there, <laughs> she was taken under a robe with, uh, a new guy. And I was there a lot because she paid – she had issues with rent, paying rent on time. And yeah, every time I was there, there was someone new.
2: Wow. Yeah. So now I, I know
1: why. Uh, she wasn't very good. She, she had to move because she couldn't pay her rent. So she wasn't all that good. Wow. she so not, does not pay, guys.
2: <laughs> I haven't dealt with that yet, but that's funny. Uh, what, about, what about animals? Do you guys take them? Do you have – I mean – what are your thoughts on low income tenants with pets? Cause we talked about that with Bree with the higher end tenants and she does take them because uh, she assumes like higher end people. It's kind of a niche for her. So what are your thoughts on accepting dogs or cats?
4: We have two properties that are duplexes that we don't allow them just because of the way the property's set up. We don't think it's a good fit, but on the other properties, we do allow them, but we do charge $25 extra per month per pet and a higher deposit too. Um, so that kind of helps us get excited about having pets. It's like, well, at least we're going to get more money from it.
1: Yeah. But dogs only, no cats, no lizards, no fish. Yeah. Why no no cats?
4: It's a good idea discriminating against
0: cats. It's not a good
1: idea. We love cats. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to... Under some of our units, so...
0: I was going to ask on pit bulls. uh, How about the, quote, dangerous breeds? No dangerous breeds.
4: Yeah. And a lot of people have pit bulls. We get so many calls asking. That's kind of a low-income trait. We've noticed. I know. I, know.
2: Not I never understood that, but it is, isn't it? Like every low income yeah. person that applies has a pit bull. What's
4: well, it's a A sta- hundred foot
1: place and they want a pit bull.
0: What's well, yeah. a status? I think part of it's status. Part of it is protection. I think it's, right. you know, having a pit bull, you kind of know that, you know, if you're going to go in and rob them or whatever, there's a safety net for them. So, yeah, I, I think that's one of the big, at least in my discussions back in the day, uh, th- that was kind of the reasoning behind it. Um, okay. 25 bucks a month extra and, and then an increased uh, security. How about tenant proofing your property we, we, we did a show with Darren Sager and Darren talked about tenant proofing his properties. he he put you know better floors. Uh, better paint, that kind of stuff to prevent it. I know what I found was there's no way to tenant-proof low-income properties. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Are you guys and finding the same thing? That's been a really tough
1: part for us because uh, we started off putting nice things in, putting in ceiling fans, putting in you know nicer lights and vanities. And every time we put in a new tenant, it, our units get worse and worse as far as less functional stuff, less, less nice stuff, because you guys got to have the minimum stuff it's going to get damaged. It's going to get broken. You got to just do what you got to do.
0: God, it just kills me. I mean, you, you know, 2014, you would think people had some responsibility to, to take care of stuff. I, I just like, I, I don't know who literally wants to live in a crappy property. I think people want to live in a good property, but you know, you wonder why landlords are putting together properties that are really just bottom of the barrel. I mean, enough to live on, but you have to, because otherwise, I mean, folks just, destroy it. I had cigarette burns. I mean, this was, you know, even when you don't allow it, cigarette burns everywhere, right. garbage piled up. I mean, I've dealt with everything and it's, it's just, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. We've
4: started putting, um, h- laminate in the bedrooms rather than carpet because we're just having to replace the carpet so often, usually yep. because of pets.
0: Yep.
2: Yeah. Wow. We had, wow. A, we had a tenant, we moved in We replaced carpet. I think it was January of this year in a unit. It was a little one bedroom apartment. We replaced it in January. The guy moved in in February, and then he didn't pay in March. We ended up like, you know, calling him a ton of times. Wouldn't answer. Wouldn't answer. Gave him the three day notice. He had to serve it on his door. Um. Anyway, so then I went over there and uh, knocked on his door a bunch, and I was like, "Well, I'm gonna go file eviction for him, you know, tomorrow." But I put a note on his door. It says, "I will." He just basically said, "Please call us. If you uh, call us, we'll give you 300 bucks to leave." tomorrow put that on his door he never called so the next day i went to town to go file the eviction and i swung by there and the letter was still on the, on the door so i turned the doorknob and it opened and he was gone which was awesome that was like the best way it could end <laughs> but my, my where i was going with that is the carpet i mean it's three months old and he wasn't even there for like a month of it was completely 100 percent shot i mean just completely shot and mm-hmm. uh
0: trash gum cigarettes i i don't know what it was like
2: like he was changing motor oil in his room or like in the place like,
3: that's what it looked like,
2: and like it we were, makes no sense
4: we were naive when we started we thought oh if, you know if we fix it up and make it nice people will take care of it yep. and we've just learned that that's not the case
2: yep so yeah i think there's ways like you said the, the laminate things like that can help a lot i i like to do tile whenever possible it's, it's harder in the northwest where we are obviously you know the it's, tile's not that common but you know i, I like doing it because it's mostly indestructible things like it's the
1: mostly that yeah. bothers us the what the mostly that that concerns um, us we, yeah yeah our tenants are are very very handy at destroying things yes
2: yeah. yep i know uh, yeah it's it, one bad yeah. tenant and you can really damage a lot yep yeah. it always always surprises me just how quickly you can do you, a unit can go downhill
0: do you guys adjust for that with higher security deposits on on these properties i mean or or you, you really can't right we it's really just what can't. the market
4: can bear and security deposits aren't even one month's rent in this area because people can't come up with it.
0: Wow. Wow. So let's quickly get to that and then we're going to turn to the fire round here. What's your average uh, repair on a on a turnover? You know, what, what, what does it cost you to, to, to kind of turn a unit around?
4: So I usually budget 7% of rent and that's kind of what our trend has been. This year has been a worse year. We're at 15%. I don't have a dollar per... I know that... Um, well, it's more than like 40, but well, so 800 yeah. uh, on the
0: property, that's like an $800 property. You're talking yeah, about a hundred bucks? It's
1: almost nothing or one or $2,000. I mean, that's what, basically what it is. The two
0: extremes. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, we have a lot of people that move out just fine, no problems at all. And then some people that... Just yeah.
0: Yeah. And, yeah. And on those, you guys really eat it up, huh? And it takes takes a little yeah. bit to make that back. And
1: no, we don't really eat it up, unfortunately. That, that, this, that's another part that bothers me is we don't eat it up. The tenants do. I mean, it, the, the rents cover all this damage that they do, and you yeah. know, they're, they're paying the security, it.
2: The security deposit. Well, just How the higher rents. I mean, we
1: could charge a lot oh, okay. lower rents if we didn't have to pay all this stuff.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. The
1: fact that we can pay all this damage and still make money means that these low-income people are paying to get new carpet every year new windows all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah. so,
4: so back to the financials we plan and buy on a hundred dollars a door but we're trending at 170 dollars a door
2: in cash flow you mean or yeah okay yeah. yeah that's great i mean that that's great so cool uh final question before we go to the fire round Wh- what do you envision for yourself for the future where do you guys see yourself in the next 5 10 20 years
4: we're not sure we're kind of in a holding pattern right now because we're kind of trying to figure that out okay. um
2: So our whole life has
1: changed. Our kids are graduating in the next two years. We'll have two kids graduating high school. Nice. Empty
4: nesters.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, So everything's going to be changing in the next five years. So who knows?
2: Nice. And that's okay. That's okay. So cool. Well, why don't we, uh, why don't we move on? I think it's time for the fire round.
0: It's time for the fire round.
2: The fire round. All right. These questions all comes straight from the Bigger Pockets forums. We're gonna throw them at you. Number one, your tenant consistently pays late rent, but it's consistent all the same. What do you do about that? We
1: argue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Stop arguing, you <YouTube>. two. <laughs> Hold hands.
4: <laughs> Look I, I'm
0: more
1: forgiving. Eyes. I'm more forgiving. Michelle's not so much.
4: I mean, if they're making progress payments and communicating, then we're going to work with them. I prefer to get late fees, Bruce prefers to waive late fees. So we're always having that constant battle, but, um, but we will work with tenants, especially if, if they've kind of paid at like by the 15th of the month, if they paid half the rent and, you know, are kind of making consistent payments rather than not paying anything for a month and a half. Come on, Bruce. You got to charge
0: it, the late fees, man. Come on.
1: I know it's just tough to charge them, you no know, 30 bucks when you no, know, they get a thousand dollars a month. Total income. Yeah. That $30 is, is huge on them.
0: Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good man. Let's put no. it that way.
1: <laughs> this is it's yeah, I mean thirty bucks doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but it means a lot to no, them. It's I, I, really yeah. tough to do. But Michelle's absolutely right. You do have to charge late fees, and we have we have done a lot more now than we used to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I I you know, I think a big part of landlord and and again, it's a challenge. I can't speak to it because I'm not there in your shoes, but you know, it's a challenge balancing the we're trying to make money but we're also trying to run almost a ch- it's kind of ch- it's charitable. I mean, I call it what you do charitable landlording. I I don't think the average landlord looks at the business the same way you guys do. I really do think that you guys are doing kind of a combination of charity, giving back to the neighborhood and landlording, running a business because if it were just running a business, they're getting those late fees and right. not even thinking twice about it, right?
5: Right. Right. Uh so
0: yeah i i think your strategy is um uh it's unique in uh, in in many ways and i i think f- for some folks Uh, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of people would find it appealing and I think others might say, well, you guys are crazy and that's fine, right? I mean, a lot of people think
1: we're crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's (laughs) definitely, definitely what it is. (laughs) Yeah. but but
0: It's all good. All right. So my question fire round is if you're, if you're getting property off the MLS, what exactly are you guys looking for? Extended days on the market, short sales, what are the properties of the property that make it stand out to you as a deal, right?
4: Well, being on the market a long time is, is desirable, but lots of times there'll be something new on the market and we can make that work just as well. So it's really running it through the financials and seeing which ones have the most compelling financials. So it's compelling financials and workable floor plan is really what drives our decisions. Okay. Right
2: okay. on. Cool. All right. Well, what is the single best method that you guys find to market the tenants, uh, especially in low income areas where maybe they're not computer savvy? Actually, we do almost exclusively Craigslist. Okay, so like even before, in low-income we, areas, that works.
1: Yeah, like we said before, we can't use four um, rent signs in um, yeah. our windows. No, we because that
4: would be the best if we could. Yeah.
1: and yeah. we really do fill them almost immediately after they are vacant.
0: So where where are these are these folks? I mean, are they using uh, smartphones? Or they do they have computers? Or are they just like go to the library or something?
1: A little bit of both, smartphones and library.
0: Okay.
2: Yep. We we actually find the majority of our tenants now from Craigslist as well. So. Cool. And um, it's free. So and it's Hard, it's it's hard to beat. Yep. There you go.
0: Yeah. Right on. Uh, all right. Well, what would you do if a tenant says they want to pay weekly to to help them budget out? Is is that something you guys would consider?
4: Absolutely. Um, I'd want to try to get a little bit more rent money to cover A, a our risk and B more time. Um, mm-hmm. More time. One concern with that is lots of time. You know, because of the way my job works, we have to be in town the first two weeks of the month anyway, and that's when usually our tenant issues and collecting rent is going on. So being gone later in the month, you know, we'd probably have to set up something with them so that we could have the flexibility to be gone. We don't let our tenants know when we're gone, so we try to make it seamless to them, and that yeah. would be difficult that way.
2: Yeah. Gotcha. That makes hey, sense. I have, a, I have a question. This wasn't a fire round question, but I'm just curious. Do you let your tenants know where you live?
4: Yes. Many of them bring the rent to our house.
2: Okay. Are you worried at all about, you know, safety or anything like that because of doing that? Somebody asked that in the forums actually a few days ago. And uh... Uh, Our
4: house got broken into shortly after we started um, doing this. And my first thought was that that's what had happened. Um, but it wasn't. No. no. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I get more nervous about after someone moves out, if they're upset coming back and doing something. Uh, that's my only concern, especially with the teenagers and stuff yeah. in our house. Yeah.
1: But it, We actually have I know our kids go to school with some of these kids.
2: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So, they you know, yep. they know us. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. yep. For sure. For sure.
2: All right, cool.
0: Well, hey, why don't we uh, wrap this up with the... Uh, Famous for... All right, here, here's the quiz. You ready?
4: Mm-hmm. All, All right. right. You want to start for
0: it? Brandon? Yeah, why don't I start it? All Go right, ahead. guys, What wh- what is your Michelle and Bruce? And if they're separate, that's fine. Favorite real estate book?
4: Okay, so we're going to stretch a little bit here. I guess the first thing I'd say is that every real estate book I've read and I've been reading more this year, um, I get something out of it. I always get at least some tidbits of something that I can do differently. But especially when I was new and starting out, I always felt like they did not go into enough detail. And it was always really frustrating because it wasn't stuff that I could really use. So what we wanted to say, there's a book, um, it's kind of along the lines of Section 8 Bible, which was a great book um, for us. But it's a book called See Poverty, Be the Difference by Donna Beagle. And the author was in poverty and she got out and she wrote this book kind of sharing about what it's like in poverty and some ideas on how to get out and stuff. So it was really good for us to kind of start to understand the mentality because when we first started, it's like, I had so many questions about, you know, why do people do this? Why, how can you function without a bank account? How can you make it work when you only have this much income? You know, there were just so many questions and this helps, um, helps kind of talk about some of that stuff and just good insight on how and why, um, people are in poverty. Yeah. It, it's
1: a lot about, you know, how people in generational poverty are just different, not bad. Yeah. You know, a lot of people just, because they're different than you, because they have different cleaning standards, they because they're not as willing to go to this volunteer at the schools, people assume they're just bad people. But in reality, it's just they have different ways of doing things.
2: Yeah, gotcha. And that, gotcha. that is a hard part, I think, for, I mean, I know I struggle with that and a lot of landlords do is, well, you know, we tend to look down on people when they, you know, maybe have lower income. And I, I try not to, you know, but it's, it's hard not to because I'm like, well, why aren't they just... Why don't they just pay their bills on time and work on their credit report? I mean, come on, people. Get a mortgage. You know, I want to like – yeah, and and it is true. I mean it is different. It's a different way of thinking and who says my way is right? I don't know. Yeah, I
1: think one of the toughest things for Michelle is to see how they decorate. And she just goes into these houses. These are my houses and they look so horrible. But they just love it. I mean that's – it's – no, it's yep. what they're like and who cares what we like.
4: We had yep. one tenant who was moving out, even though they're not allowed to paint. We tell them they're not allowed to paint. But her parting gift to us was to paint her whole place mint green. The Ooh. ceilings, absolutely oh, everything. Man. Wow. And we're like, oh, my gosh. And we painted some of the walls just to break it up a little bit in the ceilings. But we left a lot of it mint green huge selling point people love it <laughs> wow no yeah. kidding
0: <laughs> That's funny. yeah i mean i would have been happy if it came with a gallon of mint chocolate chip ice cream but mint green <laughs> oh my goodness wow crazy, crazy. Yeah, just because wow. we don't
1: like it doesn't mean everyone's gonna not like it yeah, yeah there you
2: go okay cool
0: what about uh your your favorite uh any, any business books that that stand out for you guys
4: Yeah, for this is another little bit of a stretch because it's more about personal finances. But Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez really changed our life and our outlook. We read it probably in the mid-90s, and it was kind of the voluntary simplicity movement. And just because you have more stuff doesn't mean you're happier and you don't have to keep up with the Joneses. So that kind of got us on a different path of um, of just living simpler and under our means and not overextending ourselves. And that kind of gave us the ability to, to do this. Cool.
2: Yeah. Cool. Great. Yeah, great. I had not heard of that one. So definitely great. Uh, what about well, hobbies?
1: Oh, go ahead. Books that were brought up before in podcasts.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's always good. Cause a lot of them yeah. Yeah, are obviously, uh, we hear a lot of the same ones. So that's great. great. Um, what about hobbies?
4: We play tennis together and with the kids, oh, cool. um, and right now, you know, trying working to get the kids into college, our lives are just revolving around the teens and their activities and stuff. Um,
1: and then on Thursdays, Michelle's hobby is to do the market research. <laughs> yep,
4: <laughs> yeah, don't forget Thursdays. It's,
1: I was kidding. <laughs> it really is what she likes to do on Thursday nights.
0: Nice, <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's cool. That's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. And and Brandon, I know you got one more for him.
2: All right. My, my last question is: uh, What do you believe sets apart successful? real estate investors from those who either give up or fail or never get started?
4: We think learning from our mistakes and then taking action versus waiting. And that can be, you know, we just jumped right into buying properties, but also in landlording, lots of times you'll want to just step back and see how it's going to play out. And it's always better to take some action, even if it's wrong and learn from it.
2: Cool. Great. Great. All right. Well, that's awesome. Awesome. Um, where, Where can people find out more about you guys?
4: Bigger Pockets.
2: Hey, what is that? No, just,
0: <laughs> right on. Cool. Right on. All right. <laughs> no, we'll, good deal.
2: we'll link to your profile in, uh, in uh, the show notes, of course. And uh, yeah, this has been awesome, guys.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for anyone listening, uh, if you've got any questions for Michelle and Bruce, uh, you can ask... On the show notes at biggerpockets.com/slash show 79. Or, of course, you can go find their profile and link up with them. And uh, listen, guys, we really do appreciate the time and, and uh, you guys sharing a little bit of your story with us. And we'll look forward to seeing you around the site.
4: Great. All Thanks right. for having us.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. That was Michelle and Bruce Fisher. Uh, on the Bigger Pockets podcast, and uh, we again really appreciate them taking the time. Hopefully, you've gotten some value out of this show, and I know that I certainly found it fascinating, and think it's uh, a niche that that would would certainly excite some folks. So, uh, hopefully, you enjoyed. If you are an New member, a new listener to the Bigger Pockets podcast. Definitely encourage you to go back to the previous seventy nine shows and see what we've got. We always have new ideas, new strategies, new niches, new techniques. So uh, listen up. And otherwise, as I have to remind you every time, uh, I would not be doing my job if I wasn't. Uh, definitely jump in on the site if you're not an active member of Bigger Pockets. We we certainly encourage it. Uh, Bigger Pockets is such an amazing community of people. Like uh, the fishers who are out there, just trying to help one another be successful. So, so jump in, get involved, participate, welcome new members, and and just uh, you know share what you can when you can, and and you'll see it come back. It, it definitely works that way. So, otherwise, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, G+, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and we'll see you next week. I got no, I don't have much more to add. What do you, What about you, Brandon? I got nothing. See you guys on the site. We'll see you around. Take care. Thanks.
3: To find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose.
1: Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.